Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. We are joined by our super producer, Noel, the Movement Brown, and, of course, by you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the most important and coolest part of this show. Scott, before we get started, this has nothing to do with anything. Okay, hang on a second. What's that? We can't let this pet the movement. Is he going to like that name? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll have to, we'll have to run that by him before, we'll uh, before we publish, because uh, the, I don't know. That's It's uh, very ambitious. It, well, it? It, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, it's sort of like The Edge oh, okay. in YouTube. All right, now uh, I get it. So, apropos of nothing, my friend, you may notice that I have a nifty new uh, coffee uh, coffee holder very, thermos, very slick. You just uh, you just revealed the uh, the branding to me. Mm-hmm. It is a Cadillac thermos. Yes. How'd you get that? Uh, it's not really mine. I think they give it to people when they buy Cadillacs, and uh, my father purchased a Cadillac, so it came along with a bunch of caddy swag. Wait, now is this a new Cadillac or is this one the, the one prior? This is the one prior. Oh, okay. It just you know, my parents don't even drink coffee. But don't worry, I'm making up for their absence. And you just uh, you just decided to swipe that from their kitchen drawers or something, right? I mean, well, we're at that we're at that stage where every time that I visit them, and listeners, you've probably been at this stage too with your parents or maybe with your kids. Every time I visit my parents, they give me things. Oh yeah, you know, here yeah. take this take this thermos. Yeah. Here, I'm, I'm you, sure you got room in your one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> right, right. Do you need another ottoman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're trying to empty out their giant home and, and stuff it all into your apartment. <laughs> um, and I, I do appreciate it, but uh, I, I did want to say it, it was nifty. I feel a little bit classier. You know, that is a pretty nice mug. I mean, it's it's classy, Ben. It's classy. Thank it's you. a it's a, uh, a lacquered black thermos type mug mm-hmm. i guess thermos is a brand name i know but it's oh, a right. uh, it's yeah. a coffee mug, insulated but, uh, uh insulated beverage yeah. holder <laughs> it's like the folks at frisbee did coffee you, container did you ever hear about that no uh so the 
makers of Frisbee products are very, very protective of that name. Anything that is not a Frisbee can only be referred to as a flying disc. Oh, you And they're know quite litigious. I have heard about this before. And, you know, there was a place, I, I think it was a, there's some history there with, with pie tins. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it, it's all part of it. And Kleenex, of course, and Jell-O brand, and you know, there's yeah. other brands that are pretty particular about um, about what can be called that. You Scott could, Towels, I guess, is yeah. another one. Um, I didn't know Frisbee was one, though. Lava Lamp is huge mm. into that as well. You could almost say... They're cult-like in their dedication. Oh, I like it, Ben. Oh, I like it. Womp, womp. Yeah. Hey, but uh, a, a little bit of administrative business before we get started. Uh, Off-air earlier, you had mentioned that you have an important tip for our listeners. Oh, I don't know about important, but just uh, something I've been thinking about for a long time. And this is something that was, it, it's pretty clever, and it was passed on to me from somebody else, and I'll, I'm, I feel like it's my duty to pass this on as well. If you are somebody who who regularly pays for your gasoline with a debit card or credit card uh-huh. at, at, the, at the pump, there's this simple, simple trick that will help you uh, when it comes time to review your bill at the end of the month, you know, your credit card bill, yeah. to quickly realize, like, because well, you think back and you think, well, what, did I spend $27.38 at the gas station on last, you know, last Tuesday? Well, here's my, my simple t- trick yeah. to this. Always end your gas gasoline purchase with a five. Mm. You round it up, like, you know, you can bump a little bit more fuel in, at, yeah. you know, at once it's totally full. Do that every time up to the point where the last number, the last digit on that on that screen is a five. Mm-hmm. And then when you get your bill, every time you see, um, you know, racetrack or, uh, you know, mobile gas or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's a Bolins, actually. A Bolins, really. Somewhere out there. So anytime you're at Bolins and you're pumping the gas, uh, you know, a quick read down your bill, it saves you a ton of time in trying to remember if that's your charge or if that's a legitimate charge. Because mm. I've had several relatives that have been... Uh, you know, kind of ripped off, I guess, by um, uh, credit card scanners. Or what do they call that? Where skimmers. Skimmers, that's it. Skimmers on the machines at the pumps. So uh, this is a real, real simple way to keep track of your charges. And it's it's a simple thing, mm-hmm. and, but if you do it every single time you fill up, it makes a huge difference at the end of the month when you're, uh, when you're trying to tally all that stuff together or at least keep track of all that stuff. Don't get skimmed. Don't get scammed. I know. it's a, It has no place in this podcast. It kind, of, it kind of does in that we're talking about... Uh, well, I'll say it, although it may be controversial. We're talking about one of the oldest scams in the book of history. Yeah, and you know a little bit about this uh, to begin with because you have another podcast, as many mm. people will know, the stuff they don't want you to know. Mm. And uh, years ago, you did a podcast and a video series, maybe even. I don't know if there are more than one, but at least at least one or two videos on cults. Yes, that is right. Scott, you also made an appearance in the video, and, and thank you so much for doing so. <laughs> That's uh, right. Wherein one of my co-hosts and I started a cult, or attempted to start a cult. And what we were doing, really, was hopefully in a humorous way presenting the mechanics of how a cult works, what people do uh, as leaders of cults, as followers of cults, to grow a cult and why so often these things meet with a bad end for the majority of people involved. Yeah. But you may be asking yourself, Scott, Ben, Noel, the movement Brown, 
Why are you guys talking about cults today? Yeah, this isn't a show about religion. This, this isn't a, cult stuff. This is car stuff. So what's going on? And if you read the title, you probably know where we're headed with this. But mm-hmm. uh, you're going to find that there's another couple. You know what? I'm going to slip another couple of uh, automotive manufacturers into this podcast that maybe you don't know about. Mm. It's, it's semi-related. Great. In a way. Um, so when we get to it, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll hear what I'm talking about. But... Um, don't tune out if you think that there's going to be a lot about uh, this this guy, this religion, this uh, this movement, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating stuff. It's really interesting. We'll give you some some uh, some interesting things to look at and and listen to along the way, and some um, specs as well. And some specs. That's right. Yeah, and uh, just fascinating stuff. Oh, there, this man. this is a this is a really intriguing story, and I encourage listeners to dig into this even further if they li- would like to because. Um, well, it comes from one of the books that we, uh, we we regularly refer to here on the show, right? Right, yes. One of our favorite car stuff texts, Strange But True, Tales of Car Collecting, uh, by a fellow named Keith Martin, along with the editors of Sports Car Market. Our story begins on December 11th, 1931, when a strapping young man named Chandra Mohan Jain is born. A strapping young man. That's how you're going to. A, a strapping infant. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. No problem. We'll get it. Good health. <laughs> all right. Well, this guy. I, yeah. he, he, I don't know what he was like in his uh, his early youth. I'm sure he was strapping, Ben. But uh, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't really. I'm not sure what strapping means. Actually, I just I've been reading a lot of older books. Does it mean in shape? Uh, it does. I think it yeah, totally yeah. doesn't fit. Well, it's okay. Well, it's it's fine as is. A regular person. Okay. A normal boy was born in India, mm-hmm. and uh, and then later in life he went on to get a master's degree in philosophy. He was a professor mm-hmm. at an Indian university in the 1950s and 1960s, and um, somehow he became this kind of the self-described spiritual leader along the way. Yes, yeah, a uh, a chosen one, uh, someone with the. Express HOV lane access to divinity. And he was a disciple of a Russian spiritual teacher um, who thought his, his belief, I guess, was that, that most humans live in what they call a walking sleep or wake. Right. I'm sorry, a waking, sleep. a waking sleep and that they live and die in this condition in some sort of benighted existence without uh, enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And so. This guy, uh, I'll just call him uh, Sri Rajneesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, should we should we give him the uh, the title right now, Ben, or not? Uh, you know, let's go ahead and do it. All right, the Bhagwan. Yes, Bhagwan, which means um, it, it's Sanskrit for uh, like the chosen one, the embodiment of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is like the uh, the human form of God on Earth, and he is here to deliver the message of God to his followers. And uh, so the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. Um, Formed his own cult, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say cult, his own movement right. in 1974 in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was set up at a place called Pune, he, uh, P-O-O-N-A. And along the way, uh, the Bhagwan was making some major waves. He was an advocate of free love. He was um, doing some of the things that are considered by researchers to be indicative of a cult. So right away, before we go any further, I know that term is troubling to some people. It's a loaded term. It's a loaded term, and it may be an unfair one as well. One person's cult is another person's true religion, right? So the connotations of a cult are things like 
removing the agency or autonomy of the followers, uh, removing their financial independence, things like that. And as we'll see, regardless of how this came to be or the intentions behind it, ultimately that is what happened to a lot of these people. Yeah, he was referring to himself as a mystic, a guru, a leader, you know, a spiritual leader, a spiritual teacher. A messianic figure, it, yeah. Exactly. And uh, he created, I guess, what they call the the Rajneesh movement. Mm-hmm. And the movement was, you know, of course, this this following of people that that would follow him and do whatever he said and whatever he thought, and uh, it was it was really um, it just textbook, uh, you know. Um, I keep referring back to it, but it's textbook cult right. behavior. And he, along the way, of course, you know, he's he's profiting from uh, you know Westerners and Europeans that are visiting uh, this this Indian uh, complex that he is he is set up now at this point. And it's kind of like a retreat, but he is using the money from that retreat to um, enhance his lifestyle, I guess, Ben. He was a, he was a, a lover of the finer things in life. So even though he was preaching and practicing, or not really practicing, he's preaching that, um, you know, austerity and, uh, you know, service and service community and things like that mm-hmm. uh, to his followers, uh, he was, you know, partaking of the finest French brandy and chocolates and Chinese jade and mm-hmm. um, handmade okay. watches. Yeah. Pens. He was big into pens, which I found strange. Not fountain pens, but like the, you know, um, the regular pens, like stick pens. Mm-hmm. However, he would get, you know, like the gold and silver pens that were diamond encrusted. And uh. at the top of the line, he would order pen after pen from companies that would create these um, uh, luxurious pens. I don't know how better to describe a pen, but um, <laughs> you know, not luxurious really, but it's a luxury item. And in 1981, the uh, the problems between his organization and the government of India, the Indian authorities, forced or, let's say, inspired a move to the United States. Yeah. You know, Ben, I need to mention one quick thing here. Mm. When he was in India, he was driving Mercedes-Benz and some other top-of-the-line cars, but not quite to the level that we're going to talk about in just a moment. That's that's right, Scott. Yeah, this guy has a love for the finer things. Uh, he and his uh, second-in-command had discussed the idea of establishing a new commune in the late 19... in, in later in the year of 1980. Uh, so he didn't agree to travel there until May of 1981. When he got there, he established a compound where they bought... Around what a hundred square miles or so? Well, it's sixty-four thousand square acres. Okay, yeah, 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 or uh, two hundred sixty square kilometers. This ranch, which had been called the Big Muddy Ranch, located across two counties and near a small town in Oregon named Antelope. Yeah, and Ben, I'm going to just jump right ahead and tell you this: that uh, they they quickly renamed that ranch. It was no longer the Big Muddy Ranch. It became Rajneeshpuram. Or the uh, was it Rancho Rajneesh? Yeah, some some, some called it. Um, you know, a lot of different names for it. But um, as they moved into this town or this uh, this area, the, the the closest local area was a town called Antelope, Antelope, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And we, did we even say that we're in there in Oregon? Yeah. Okay. So they're surprised. In, yeah. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so they're in Oregon, uh, like the northern part of the state in this uh, this community that has at this point in 1981 the population of nearby Antelope was 47 people. It's a very, very small area. It was a ranching town. Uh, they were really tolerant at first of this big group moving in because he brought with him um, about 1,200 people, I think, um, a huge group of people, and they were going to inhabit this ranch, but they found that the ranch uh, did not have 
all the facilities that they needed, all the um, running um, water, yeah, yeah, utilities, um, yeah, utilities, not facilities, because they were building facilities, but they didn't have utilities. That was the problem. They didn't have electricity and running water mm-hmm. and everything necessary. They didn't have roads or any of that stuff. So all that was going to be constructed and, and built on this property. But so as you can guess, Ben, it wasn't too long before they kind of moved into the the downtown area of Antelope, the small downtown uh-huh. area, and they started buying up property. They started uh, renaming things, as I said. And they were changing the names of things. So they, they, they quickly also took political positions in town. Right. Which is important, really yes. important. And, uh, you know, as I said, the, you know, the, the people in Antelope were at first tolerant, but then they became a little bit concerned and then eventually they became angry with this group. And we'll find out why. But, um, as I said, they were changing names. It's like they, they changed things into, uh, like, Places called like Zorba, the Buddha nightclub, and mm-hmm. um, Zorba, the Zorba Deli, or you know places like things like that. They changed the name of the landfill, Ben, to this is the strangest thing. All right, the Adolf Hitler Recycling Center. I what? don't, I don't have any clue why they did that. It almost seems like just a uh, like a like a, a snubbing to the people of the town. Like we're just going to name very things strange. in an outrageous way. Well, maybe there was some sort of spiritual uh, logic behind it. <laughs> no, there probably wasn't. It was, it was just, just a, vindictive. Uh, just a just a mean move, I think. Just to change, just to show how dramatically they were going to change things in this small town. And uh, you know, should we mention um, that at this point he decided that you know after the purchase of the, pr- the property, which which was for something like six million dollars, that ranch right. wasn't cheap. Yeah, six million bucks. Um, he began a period of public silence. He wasn't going to speak anymore, so he had a sidekick. And the mm-hmm. sidekick was someone named Ma Aman Sheila. Ah, yes. The, uh, a very outspoken, passionate, uh, person who became the gatekeeper for any communication with the leader of this movement. Yeah, because he was not speaking to anybody. He wasn't doing any interviews, wasn't doing any of that. This was the mouthpiece for the organization. And it was kind of up to her, I guess, in the, the direction that all this went, you know, the way that the, the media saw this group moving into this small town in Oregon. Which is is going to be instrumental later in the ultimate evolution of this situation. I just did it. I said Oregon. I meant to say oh. Oregon. <laughs> I'm from the Midwest, so I say it sometimes uh, both ways. You'll hear it both ways in this podcast. It's funny because we talked off the air about it, and uh, one of our coworkers is from Oregon, and you had assured me, you said, well, he." He's from Oregon, and I asked him, and he says this is the correct way to pronounce it, but yeah. I might go back and forth. Yeah, yeah. I have the uh, the different pronunciation. I think there's a, a couple of different ways to say it, but anybody from that region will mm-hmm. say Oregon. So mm-hmm. I'll try to stick to that as we go through here. But this this person, this uh, the Sheila, we'll just yeah. call her Sheila. Sheila. Yeah, Ma Nan Sheila. Uh, she was what they called, they, they said that she was acid-tongued. Pistol-packing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was his, his right-hand man, really, but it was a female. Yeah, and you but, can see some... Hilariously awkward interviews with oh, her. Oh, yeah. You know what? Um, can I point them to one? Yes. Okay. So, it, if you want to just get a taste of what this person is like, take just just Google search for this. Good luck to you and your pimps. Search for that, <laughs> and you'll find a three minute video clip that will uh, that will encapsulate what this person is like uh, mm-hmm. to in in a lot of interviews. It's not just that one. Right. The further you deep, uh, further you dig, rather deeper. Uh, you'll find that most interviews went this way with her. Yes, very contentious. Uh, the interview that Scott is referencing in particular was in Perth, Australia. Yeah, so here's the thing. We're going to get to the Rolls Royces, I promise, because it's 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 coming fast here. This this group grows 
quickly. I mean, the, yes. uh, of course, he has a huge following from India. There were something like 50,000 visitors annually to this mm-hmm. place in India when he left. And, of course, he left amid some turmoil there. It wasn't, uh, wasn't on his own terms by any means. Right. Uh, but when he gets here, um, it also quickly grows into the thousands of people that are visiting. And, uh, of course, they're all, you know, contributing uh, to the commune and the dollars in the bank account begin to grow and grow and grow. And pretty soon... This group has something like like 5,000 people that live on the commune. Now, remember, this is a town of formerly 47 people. Right, right. Now there's 5,000 people living on this commune and $100 million in the bank. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bear Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, Feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Including infrastructure. So they went from no water, no phone lines, no gas, no sewage, to a community with a fire department, police, restaurants, malls, uh, an airstrip, a, a bus system, 
a sewage reclamation plant. It's a shocking growth for this uh, for this community, and not only that, it's just a, it's it's really strange because they call the, this group the Orange People, and the right. Orange People name is uh, maybe a, a little bit outdated at this point because here in the states they changed their uh, their their mode of dress, I guess, just a little bit. They want it to be the warm. Uh, the warm colors of the sunrise, I think, is what they describe it as. So these followers would all wear um, initially just orange robes, and that was where right. the orange people name came from. Mm-hmm. Now they were able to wear uh, reds, maroons, pinks, uh, color any color that you would find in the morning sunrise. And uh, and that was what they were described as. And they were all dressed in that way. And you would see them in large groups out, you know, out and about the city. Uh, oh, by the way. Um, in public parks, they uh, ruled that uh, nudity would be allowed as well. So oh, it, was, yes. uh, it was part of this whole free love idea. And uh, just, I guess I'm not really giving anything away here. This, this, was, this was oftentimes seen as a, a sex cult. Right. Because this, of the yeah. enlightenment thing. And uh, Rajneesh's idea on that was that the, the human mind or individuals in current society were too hung up on the concept of sex and that this repression was in the way was stymieing progress spiritually so that his argument would be, I'm making it not a big deal. Yes. Sex is enlightenment to him and his followers. And not only that drugs as well. And that does right. play into this whole thing as, as well. So, Oh, you know, let's just go ahead and say it right now. What he, he was, he was also a nitrous, uh, nitrous oxide user. Yes. Um, he had a $12,000, uh, commercial grade dentist chair and he would just go through laughing gas yeah a huge amount of laughing gas huge amount he was uh, he was regularly hooked up to this thing i guess in this in this really expensive chair and um that was like how he would free his mind i guess and and mm-hmm. come up with these these teachings and he would give lectures uh you know there's many many clips of him uh, you know, sitting in a chair, lecturing to a large group right. about many different subjects that you would not think that a, a spiritual leader would be discussing. And most of them revolve around love, sex, relationships, drugs. Yeah. Um, there's, there's an infamous one about uh, the F word. The most um, powerful word in the world. Yeah, he calls it the most powerful. And he and it's almost, uh, if you look at it now, it's almost like a comedy routine. It's like performance art. It, it's really bizarre. Very, very strange behavior, but... An interesting character, no doubt. And but this guy, yeah. with his $100 million and more coming in all the time, it was like they just didn't have anywhere to spend it. I mean, it was that it's coming in that fast. So he develops, like we said, a, a habit for the finer things. And, mm-hmm. and uh, one of those habits that he decided to, uh, to grow into, I guess, would be purchasing fine European automobiles in the form of the Rolls Royce. Yes, it is true. During the height of his Rolls Royce collecting career, and we will, we will show you his side of the story as well, folks. Uh, during the height of Rajneesh's Rolls Royce collection, uh, he had a little under 100 Rolls Royces. This collection, by the way, was not considered complete because you see his followers, at least according to the official party line, wanted to ultimately have 365 so that he could drive one every day of the year. Uh, The reason this became so iconic in U.S. history was that there would be, well, even before a lot of the, the criminal activity that led to the downfall of this this particular location, even before that, it became iconic because 
there was such a visual contrast between these people toiling in fields and building infrastructure and then lining up at 2 p.m. it was, I believe, every, every day, day. 2 p.m. Every day at 2 p.m. to throw flowers on this guy's Rolls Royce, one of them, as he drove past. Yeah, as he delivered a drive-by blessing. Yes. A daily drive-by blessing. Now, the thing that you're saying that the, the optics of this were really, really poor. For, right, you know, right. It looked like massive inequality. Yeah, because I mean, these people are working literally seven days a week in jobs that are in service to Rajneesh so that this commune can continue. Uh, you know, whether it's in, in goods and products that they can sell to, uh, you know, locals or the rest right. of the commune. Right. And, uh, and as well as, you know, other people from outside that come into the Antelope area. Um, but the thing is, like, the, the commune itself had 41 businesses and they were all staffed by like 1,500 people that worshiped at the, they called it worshiping at the jobs. Uh huh. And for that, in exchange, they would get $10 each month. And this is, remember, this is 1980. Uh, 1981. I think it was 1981. Uh, they would get ten dollars a month, free vegetarian meals, and a mattress space in an A-frame house. So very austere living conditions, mm-hmm. very very uh, minimal. And here he is driving by in one of his '93, uh, you know, Rolls Royces for the the daily drive-by blessing as they're as they're standing at the road, you know, praying to him. Uh, it, again, it's just a it's a really difficult image to take in, I guess, if you see what's happened, like the. Um, uh, the disparity between the two there. Right. Um, so uh, not only that, he's making money from a few. There were other commune residents that didn't work in those businesses, but that would pay pay to live there to, right. to experience life with him on a daily basis. And then oh, were, with him for a drive by at two p.m. Yeah. And then there were others that were like you know the farmers and the you know the other uh, community members that would work in places like the Rajneesh Deli or the the mm. Rajneesh Beauty Salon or the Rajneesh Bookstore and the bookstore. Only carried Rajneesh's books, so he had right. he had six hundred and fifty books that he had written, or supposedly he had written, which I'm skeptical well, about. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. So he had written six hundred and fifty books, let's say, and uh, those are on the shelves, and that's all you can buy in there. And he would sell photos of himself, and every follower had a photo of the of him on you know a wooded wooden beaded necklace that they which would wear they around did their not neck. Get for free? No, they had to pay pay for that as well. So. It's really interesting, but they would work seven days a week at this, and then he'd do these drive-by Rolls-Royce blessings. And this was, uh, I think he got his first Rolls-Royce in 1980. So before the yes. actual, you know, commune was anything, you know, but when he first arrived in the United States, he, he bought one. And then after that point, you know, he decided that that was, uh, that was the car for him. That was going to be the way that he traveled. And I think he passed it off. Didn't he say something like it was like, um, the serenity that he yes, that there's he a line. Experienced, uh, yeah, something about driving in it. It was so perfectly quiet and serene that it was the way that he needed to travel in order to be able to meditate. I think was how he put it. Something mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. that lines. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but um, in 1980 he had the first one, and later, you know, as his uh, as this started to grow, you know, the uh, the commune started to pick up um, strength of in numbers and in dollars. This became something that he would do. He, he, twice a month, he would purchase a new Rolls Royce. Twice a month. Right. Uh, and he defended this by, uh, he had called himself the rich man's guru before. And he said once, I would like the whole world to live so luxuriously that people start becoming bored with luxury. And the whole earth is capable for the first time to be so luxurious that you don't feel any material need. All material needs are fulfilled. Then what are you going to do? There is nothing else than meditation. So in this perspective, and I do feel like 
in interest of fairness, we have to present his side of it. Uh, in his perspective, this was a step toward ma- enabling the world to gain greater enlightenment. So the logic from the detractor's side would be like, oh, so it's okay for you to have all these people. He also maintains that his followers bought the Rolls Royces for the commune. Yeah. And that he didn't own them. But the logic there to the opponents of this idea would be, it doesn't make it for everyone if you just say, this is for everyone. You know, Ben, I, I did read an article in a magazine that's called 1859 Oregon. And the article was talking about, you know, the, uh, the invasion, I guess. They called it an invasion. Yeah. And the person that wrote this, uh, her father, I think, was a, a city council member or something like that. I'm, I'm foggy on the details of that because I wasn't really focused on that at the, at the moment. But um, the, the, the author mentioned as a child remembering seeing uh, commune members driving in those Rolls Royces. So they might have had use of those on occasion, right. or maybe with some of the, the higher up members of the, of the church or, or the, the VIP uh, visitors of the movement, I should yeah. say. Yeah. So maybe that was it, but, um, they do remember seeing someone other than Rajneesh driving those, those okay. Rolls Royces into town. However, I, you don't have to have that as kind of like the, uh, the fleet vehicle for your, your commune. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty extravagant thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we all know that what's going on here. It was for him. It's uh, it's for him. They're all decorated the way that he wanted them to be decorated. Because that's another thing we haven't even touched on. Oh gosh, is that these aren't just like from the factory versions of of Rolls Royce cars. He would paint them in psychedelic colors. He would use um, you know lace curtains to further decorate them. Um, you know, um, just crazy bizarre paint jobs that were created by his uh his swami artists and these were these were new rolls royces we should emphasize that these weren't you know vintage uh phantoms or anything no in early 80s i think they said that the price of rolls royce cars was somewhere in between it was like 110,000 to about 165,000 dollars for there the top were, end yeah there was a time where uh there was a brief period of time there where they were the most expensive production car in the world yeah and that would have been right then probably right and I mean, so in, in yeah. 1980 165,000 I, I don't have my uh, calculator in front of me here but um that's a lot of money so yeah they they weren't uh, they weren't cheap by any means and i think they went up to even higher than that they were like 175,000 at the top end i think uh but but he was generating a huge amount of sales to the not just to that area to to one person but to the the United States because Rolls Royce wasn't producing as many cars as they do now. Oh, I've got the calculation there, Scott. Oh, okay, you do. Uh, one hundred and sixty-five grand in let's say nineteen eighty when he bought the first one. Sure, would be uh, roughly four hundred seventy-six thousand eight hundred forty-one dollars and ninety-nine cents. So today. this is uh, so this is ballpark. I mean, if we put it in today's perspective, this is a million dollar a month habit. Yeah. A million dollars a month. Oh, you know what? One, one more quick thing. A little yeah. side note. I forgot to mention this. He was also enamored with movies, movies of all kinds. Mm. And he would watch movies, I would guess, while he's on you know, his nitrous uh, meditation yeah. you know, kick. Uh, I would think he'd watch movies all day long because he, he was watching so many to the point where he had staff members or members of the, the commune that would fly to nearby cities like San Francisco or mm-hmm. maybe to Portland mm-hmm. and buy the latest movies to stock his shelves. He had that many movies and that much of a, a fixation on watching the latest movies. And he would just do that all day long while he was thinking or whatever he was doing. It seems more and more isolated, too, which is where our story takes a little bit of a turn. But first, uh, let's talk about 
maybe the kind of Rolls Royces that he had. So we mentioned that a lot of these had paint jobs, which some of some of uh, your more traditional members of, of car stuff may find disturbing. Uh, one one uh, great example would be uh, the black kimono Rolls Royce, which you can see you can see some close up pictures of on YouTube. Uh, this is a silver spur. A silver spur Rolls Royce is the longer wheelbase version of the Silver Spirit, and these are nice cars. This is the first time in Rolls Royce history that they have the retractable. Uh, the, the, what's the thing? Oh, the spirit. spirit. Spirit of ecstasy. Yeah, the retractable right. spirit of ecstasy. Because as you may know from one of our earlier shows, that is also one of the most frequently stolen, uh, one of the most frequently <laughs> stolen badges of his show. Oh, no kidding. So it was automated even back then. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is one that's, uh, it's paint. Now just this one in particular. This is one of 93, by yeah, the Yeah, the black kimono. The black kimono. Is this the one that has uh, swans painted on the outside, flying swans? Um, and I believe any of the, the kimono or kimono versions of these. If you see the word kimono after mm-hmm. uh, or anywhere in the name, he also would wear matching kimonos that, that went along with this for photo opportunities. Right. Because there was a lot of press that, you know, out there interested in talking to him or at least talking to his followers while he was standing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these elaborate photo shoots would happen with him dressed to match this this Rolls Royce. It's just it's it's unbelievable what was going on there. And there's so many of those too. I mean there's there's several themed Rolls Royce cars. Yeah, uh, that he had in the collection. It was, you know, I think every one of them had some kind of crazy paint job. It wasn't like there were there were many that were left stock. Right, like swans, Japanese silk robes, super bright candy colors on them, uh, two tone vehicles. Yeah, almost every paint job on these was custom. And for the most part, he dealt with uh, you know one local dealer, I think, and uh, you know had a good repu- a good reputation and relationship with that guy. Um, you know, the owners of of uh, well, the owners of Rolls Royce at the time, the uh, the CEOs, the Top Guns, there would say, um, you know, it's an unusual place, but he's a great customer. We really enjoy enjoy oh, selling yeah, our product right. to him. Yes. There's a there's a good um, you know marketing opportunity there for us, you know, because anybody who has 93 of our cars, mm-hmm. of course, that's going to be a great customer. And you know, just to give you an idea of, of you know what's going on here, Rolls Royce Motor Cars. Um, I think the, the U.S. headquarters at the time was in Lyndhurst, New Jersey. I don't know if that's still true or not, but they said it was a, a profitable and, and somewhat odd relationship with with Rajneesh. Of course, you know, with what he's asking for, the colors and things, right, the combinations. Yeah. Um, the commune had its own service center, and a Rolls-Royce engineer would periodically travel there to troubleshoot the cars for him because he did drive them. And that's mm-hmm. another that, boy, that's another thing, a little spinoff here, too, is that um, a lot of people felt that he was kind of a, a menace on the roads in that area. They didn't like him because he would drive these, I guess, really fast and kind of recklessly right. Remember, on the back roads. These have V8 engines, too. Yeah, so. rear-wheel drive V8. Yeah. I'm guessing he's doing a little bit of... Uh, uh, he's gunning it. Yeah, he's doing a little bit of uh, uh, Bagwan drifting out there in the, uh, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the rural areas of Oregon. So um, a lot of people didn't like the way he drove those cars right. around. And I, I don't know how much you know there is to that. Of course, they probably just didn't like the guy in general but the, what he's doing to the place. But the company... Only made twenty five hundred of the car uh, of those cars yeah, per year. Every year, and then not that many made it to America. Only only eleven hundred made it mm-hmm. to America. So he's buying a, a percentage, a, a pretty good chunk of the cars that are coming to America, just himself. He, he represented something like uh, I think it was over a million and a half dollars in sales. I think um, yeah. in in nineteen eighty five, uh, for, for just for this one guy. And and 
of course, that was towards the end, I guess, in 1985. Mm-hmm. That was the, the, near the end of the, the, the whole thing. But, um, what an interesting character this was. Now, there are some things that led to the downfall of the, of this right. cult in this town. Now, so he's, of course, amassed this huge collection. There's, uh, you know, all these strange happenings going around. He's renamed everything in town. They're, they've got political control of that antelope area. Right. But, and but, they're, they're bringing, uh, they're bringing things to a boiling point to what Malcolm Gladwell would call a tipping point when they do things like uh, politically shut down the native residents' access to schools of their choice. And then he is also going, according to his former right-hand, Sheila, he's also uh, going bigger, and he demands, at a time when he has 90 Rolls Royces, that she buy 30 more. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... (laughs) So okay, so it's getting a little bit crazy. They're 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 really um, hungry for political seats at this point, yeah. And they're trying to get seats on the uh, on the county board. There's only three seats, I guess, on this county board. Two of them are up for uh, for up for grabs in this this election that's coming up at the end of 1984. And this gets really strange. And I don't know how much we really even want to go into this, but uh, they launched a one of only two bioterror attacks that happened in the United States, uh, foisted against. Uh, U.S. citizens. Right, yes. In a town called the Dalles, Oregon, uh, the a, a faction of the movement coordinated and successfully deployed salmonella in a deliberate food poisoning attack. And they were doing this specifically to influence the outcome of that election they, you just mentioned. This is so crazy. They were they, they poisoned the entire town in order to keep them from going to the polls so that they would then have the majority vote uh, so they could get those those uh, those county seats. And that was in 1984. 1984. And you can look up the details of this whole thing, but it was 10, it was 10 local restaurants, and they distributed it via glasses of water, um, salad, bars, salad bars, salsa, yeah. you know, salsa, salsa <laughs> bars, <laughs> salad dressings. Yeah, salad, yeah. that was what I was thinking, salad dressings, and uh, just any way that, um, you know, they would go to buffet restaurants and distribute it there, you know, in the in the salads. Um, so that a lot of people got this. And in the end, 751 people contracted this, this, uh, it was, it was salmonella is what they distributed, um, the biological agent. Mm-hmm. And 45 had to be hospitalized. There were no fatalities, luckily, but there were some that were very close to dying from this. It was right. a really serious attack. In fact, it was one of the, it was probably the, I think it was the largest attack. The, um, the other one that we're talking about would be 2001 anthrax. Yes. Yes. 2001 yeah. where uh, anthrax was sent to, um, media agencies. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bear Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. This, what's interesting, the, the people here who were accused were very fortunate that no one died. Uh, two of the leading officials were convicted on charges of attempted murder. They served 29 months of 20-year sentences. Uh, they were at a minimum security federal pen. But what did, this may be of interest, what did our Rolls-Royce-loving leader of the movement say when he found out about this? Ah, he blamed it on everybody else. He was not involved at all, right? There was nothing nothing wrong here, nothing to see. It was uh, other members. I have no uh, control over what they're doing, right? He also said that there were other crimes that they that he that he had found out they were planning to assassinate a US attorney. Uh he asked state and federal authorities to investigate uh whether or not he is telling the truth in that situation. That's what people refer to as getting out in front of something. Oh, ben, see, I'm, I'm, I'm chuckling at this because what they thought was a peace-loving, nonviolent uh, commune, you know, on the surface, I guess. And I think the, the locals knew better than this because they saw the actual activity, what was happening. But the, the front that was put out there for the media, for the public, was that they're a peaceful, you know, nonviolent, nonviolent group. But it turns out that they're involved in uh, arson, murder plots, of course, the bio, bioterrorism, you know, the, with the poisoning, prostitution, wiretapping. Drug uh, running. Yeah, drug running. There was uh, illegal immigration fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, just unbelievable amount of things that were going on. And the, the people that were charged for the poisoning were also fined $500,000. But as you said, they were put in a minimum security prison right. and released after just a few months, really, only like 20 months or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or 29, you said, mm-hmm. out of a 20-year sentence. Um, and that's for attempted murder. I don't know what, what the... You know, the reasoning was behind that, but they got out, and one of them was Sheila. 
Yes. One of them, and I think there was another female uh, that was... Uh, yeah, Diane Von Onang. Yeah, who I think went by Ma Anand Sunshine, maybe. Yeah, uh, Ma, that was her Ma Anand Puja. Yeah, okay, well... Yeah, yeah. The names are confusing, but mm-hmm. uh, but th- those two were put away for this, and he just ratted him out. I mean, and then after all that, you know, when he got out, out in front of the charges, as you said, he, hi-ti- he hightailed it out of the country... Uh, back to India and started up another commune and changed his uh, changed his title to Osha, yeah, uh, or Osho, excuse me. Uh, this oh one one thing yeah, though, yeah. with eight eight Rolls Royces in tow. Yes, because he had set up a uh, you know of course he knew that all this was going down. You know that uh, that mm-hmm. he was likely not going to uh, not going to be able to hang on to everything. So you know as they they find all the the fancy pens and his uh, his twelve thousand dollar dentist chair and you know everything that um, was going on behind the scenes at the uh, at the commune, uh, he realized that he wasn't going to be able to take the ninety three Rolls Royces with him. So he puts eight of them into uh, a separate trust for him. So he right. owns those outright. And because he's not part of this whole th- this whole thing, you know he was. Um, on, I guess if you can call it on the good side, he's on the good side of this, uh, um, of this trial. Good side, I mean that he didn't serve any prison time. Right. Um, and that he, he was the one who officially, he sent out an official request for an investigation. Now, another part of his yeah. side of the story is that in 1981, he gave Sheila, his lieutenant, uh, limited power of attorney. Mm-hmm. And in 1982, he removed limits on that. So Sheila announced in 83 that he would only speak with her. And later, he says, so it's very plausible, right? That's plausible deniability, Scott, because later he says, she didn't tell me any of this. I would never condone poisoning people okay. to rig an election. Well, the whole commune was, was wired for, uh, for, for video and audio. Right. Um, it was surveillance. Bullets, I mean, yeah. surveillance. Uh, the pay phones were all tapped that were on the property. Uh, they found that there was a, a wiretapping uh, control room of sorts that was behind a secret door in Sheila's room uh, of this commune. Uh, he knew he knew what was going on. He knew all this was happening. You think so? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. And uh, he was involved or, you know, he was involved in this stuff in India before he even came over to the United States as well. So uh, it doesn't seem too hard to believe that he would be involved in this here as well. So you're saying there's a precedent. I, yeah, yeah. I think there's a precedent for this there. And uh, Again, that's all kind of the fallout of this whole thing. But but the other part of this was that now that they had to kind of break up what was remaining there, you know, now that the town of uh, Antelope was returned to Antelope. And by the way, the, the only they've got a plaque in town mm-hmm. where they refer to this as the invasion. And you can read you can read what it says. There's an inscribed plaque that. Um, um, well, you know, what? I can read it to you. I've got what it says. Yeah. Um, it's right outside of the Antelope, or- Oregon post office. And it commemorates the local resistance to the time, you know, I guess designating the time between 1981 and 1985. It says, dedicated to those of this community who throughout the Rajneesh invasion and occupation of 1981 to 1985 remained, resisted, and remembered. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that is a quote by Edmund Burke, who was an 18th century Irish statesman. So they called it a an invasion and an occupation between 1981 and 1985. I mean, it goes to show you how they felt about this group moving into their community and just taking over. And, yeah. you know, there were there was a lot of media surrounding this. I mean, I, I remember in 1985, as this was all falling apart, watching this on, I think it was 60 Minutes maybe. Um, and if it wasn't the, the U.S. version, it was the Australian version of 60 Minutes that they were then replaying here in the States because I do remember seeing the people in all their different robe colors mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the Rolls Royces driving by, but I didn't know the whole story. I don't think I really paid much attention at the time. Now, the Bhagwan entered a guilty plea. 
Really? Uh, yeah. So the way he did it is uh, this is the kind of plea where someone does not admit guilt but does contest the charges. Uh, he was contesting charges that he had concealed his intent to stay in the country indefinitely. So he can, what, plead guilty with no time served or anything or something like that? or no, Right. No, uh, no time to be served. He I received suppose. a suspended sentence, five years probation, and a $400,000 penalty. Well, then after that five-month probation is when he, uh, he lit out of here then, probably. He hightailed it. And I know what a lot of us are thinking. This was one of my first questions, too. What happened to the rest of those cars? Yeah, what happened to the other 85, right? So right. Um, I, I guess the, the best way to say this is that, you know, Rolls-Royce decided that they wanted to make sure that, uh, that these were indeed uh, cars that, that were befitting the Rolls-Royce name before they were put up for auction. Because the auction was the, uh, I guess, the primary focus here. They were going to just right. get rid of the whole lot of them all at one time. And they were also, you can tell from some of their publications and later statements and interviews that they were increasingly uncomfortable with being associated with this movement, yeah. for good or ill. But uh, there's a great quotation wherein one Rolls-Royce uh, veteran is describing how uh, horrified the Rolls-Royce execs were when they saw what was happening in these vehicles, you know, like something that has a curt, uh, kitchen window lace pasted on the windows. Yeah, 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 exactly. And Or, or cotton balls glued to the outside of it. Uh-huh. Stuff like that was happening. And, of course, you know, the crazy paint schemes and everything that were that were concocted or dreamed up. But Rolls-Royce did inspect the cars. This is kind of an unusual move on, on their part. Yeah. Um, just to give you a heads up here, two two of these offers that I'm going to tell you about failed. The third one was accepted, but Rolls-Royce inspected the cars and then, in a surprising move, offered to buy all of them. Yeah. And I'm not sure why that happened, but the offer, I guess, was you know far short of what the commune thought they were worth. The commune thought they were worth $5 million mm-hmm. as a collection. So these 85 vehicles, $5 million, they thought it was way too much. Uh, the, the company thought that was too much. Yeah. So that says something right there. I don't know what their offer was. But then a group called... Consolidated International, which uh, this is this is where the other two car manufacturers come in that I mentioned earlier mm. on in the, uh, in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about this. This is strange. Now, Consolidated International, which is now known as the big lot chain of stores. So, you know, big lots that you see, you know, the retail no stores. Way. You know, they buy all the stuff. It's like yeah. uh, leftovers from stores that they right. sell. Um, big lots. You would think, what, what do they have an interest in, in 85 Rolls Royces? Why are they doing that? It's, it's really just a big, uh, company that, that buys and sells things to other investors. So, um, you know, they'll buy like construction equipment. They'll buy auto parts or, you know, consumer closeout products. And this was something that interested them at the time. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. Why would they dabble in Rolls Royce? You know, cause it's kind of out of their realm. Oh, by the way, five million in '85 is the equivalent of about eleven point two million today. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's a huge chunk Steep. of money for '85 Rolls Royces, but and, and in this condition, because we do know that Rolls Royce offered them a significantly less amount because they wouldn't wouldn't accept yeah. it. All right, so I was thinking, why would why would Consolidated International, you know, Big Lots, be interested in these Rolls Royces? But apparently, they were the company that acquired the. DeLorean assets back in 1983. Oh man, so, they're making moves. So when you know, remember when DeLorean shut down amid the scandal, and you know, mm-hmm. in, in Ireland, mm-hmm. um, all of the all of the unbuilt cars and parts and, and machinery and all that that was left behind. That's the group that purchased 
uh, all of that, you know, and I thought, well, that's really interesting. They were the, they were the owners of DeLorean for a while. Then I found out that they also purchased the Bricklin Car Company, uh, you know, from Malcolm Bricklin, Bricklin, when he built his SV1, the, the, uh, the sports car. And I think that, I want to say the early 1980s, I think was when that happened. Um, but interesting that, you know, they're involved in all this. So that's the, so DeLorean has a mention here and so does Bricklin. Um, the, the third person to come in, oh, I'm sorry, I should say that they, they felt the five million dollar price tag was too much as well, so they didn't uh, they didn't bite. Mm-hmm. Uh, they offered them less. They didn't accept it, of course. And then the, the third bid uh, was a guy named Bob Roethlisberger, who was the co-owner of a place called European Auto Group in Dallas. And Roethlisberger arrived at the commune just three days before Thanksgiving Day in 1985. So this is the uh, you know November of 1985. He was in a private jet and he had a six million dollar line of credit from his bank. And a two million dollar cash down payment to make. So of course money talks, mm-hmm. and he was able to pick up the entire lot of vehicles, all eighty five. And according to this article in the Orlando Sentinel, he paid almost seven million dollars in the end for all eighty five vehicles. So you know th- that's less the eight that uh, that Rajesh or Rajneesh took mm-hmm. off with as well. So here he is in November. He's got to get eighty five vehicles back to um, uh, back to Texas. And he shows up with more than a dozen, or maybe it's a dozen, call car haulers that have to go through deep snow and, right. and, and trying to load 85 Rolls Royces onto these these car haulers in in November. Uh, it's a difficult thing to do, and it cost him a pile of money too. It cost him two hundred thousand dollars just to haul them down to Texas. So this is already seeming like a uh, more complicated idea than you would have <laughs> yeah, wanted. I would say so. And Ben, this is it takes a tragic turn here because the guy, the, the Roethlisberger guy that I just mentioned, he was only he was only 40 years old and in April of 1986, the very next year, just uh what's that uh, 6 months later, mm-hmm. he died of cancer um at at the age of 40. And at that time, uh, you know, at that moment, uh 43 of those cars were had already been sold between Somewhere between sixty-five and one hundred thousand dollars each, and so that leaves uh, forty-two cars left to go, and thirty of those cars went to um, an un- unidentified buyer from somewhere in the Middle East. I don't know if they've mm-hmm. ever identified who that was. Uh, it's probably known at this point, but not in this article. And a lot of those cars that were then remaining from that, you know, the, uh, the, the well, the thirty as well as you know the, the remaining twelve that stayed in Texas, some of them were repainted, but. They found that a lot of the the people that were interested in these cars, you know, like filmmakers and athletes and business owners, they wanted those crazy colors. They wanted the psychedelic paint jobs. They wanted the unusual uh, rainbow car and the kimono cars and right. know, the, the autumn car. They all had theme names. So yeah, they were all interested in those. And you can see photos of, uh, I think it might be Roethlisberger outside of that European motor car company, mm-hmm. um, you know, with hands in the air, you know, celebrating the fact that he's got this lot full of Rolls Royce cars. Really interesting time in history. Strange, strange story. There's so much to say about this, about this thing, uh, about this, uh, this group, uh, this story. We're, we're, again, we're just barely touching the tip of the iceberg on, on the interesting stuff that's going on behind the scenes at this commune. Yeah. And this, this movement, we must, we must say, this movement continues after the death of its Founders. So, yeah, which happened not long after as well, right? Right. In January of 1990, at the age of 58, yeah. Osho, a.k.a. Chandra Mohan Jain, a.k.a. Rajneesh, passed away. Uh, and often in spiritual movements of this nature, they die 
within either the founder's generation or the generation of their successor. And typically their successor is some kid that 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 they raised in this movement. Uh, so it does speak to at least the commitment of the followers that it continues. Uh, however, their um, national or international renown really peaked in the 80s. And Rolls-Royce, spokes, spokespeople for Rolls-Royce will downplay their involvement in this incident by saying, you know, this is a blip in our eight decades and counting history. Oh, I, I agree, but it was also, at the time, for several years, I mean, it was a, uh, uh, something that a lot of people really focused on. And it got a lot of press that, mm-hmm. uh, that he was the, you know, the Rolls Royce cult leader. Um, I, <laughs> the Rolls Royce guru. Yeah, the Rolls Royce guru. Maybe that's a, that's a better way to put it. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of, it kind of worked for them for a while, you know, they, and they, they used that to their advantage, I think. Uh, of course they did. You know, sure. as they said, he's a good customer. You know, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to destroy that relationship because of, you know, the way that this, this appears to everybody. But, um, yeah, you're right. As a, as, as a company, as a whole, I guess maybe, um, it was a minor, minor blip on the screen, um, in, in the history of the company now. May I read a quote from the man himself, the Bhagwan himself? Sure. Okay. <clears throat> it's a little bit long. You okay with that? Oh, sure. Why not? All right. It's always entertaining. Just the other day, Anando was showing me one book published against me in Australia by a couple who have been sannyasins for three years and have been in the commune. But just looking at their ideas, it seems they have never seen me. They are saying that they were working, working hard, and with their work I was purchasing Rolls Royces. You can see the absurdity. Their work was not bringing any money. Their work was making their own houses to live in, the roads, which were needing money, not producing money. But in their mind, and for all those three years also, they must have been resentful. Those Rolls Royces were not produced by the commune. They were presents from outside, from all over the world, and I was not their owner. I had given them to the commune. They were commune property, and I have not brought any of them with me. I have left them with the commune. Side note, not entirely true. Anyway, he continues, everything that I had has been left with the commune. I never owned anything, but there must have been the idea that they are earning money and I am wasting money. That is their resentment. What money were you earning? In fact, you needed money to make houses, to make roads, to make a dam. A dam needed two and a half million dollars to make. You were contributing your labor, but we were not creating money out of it so that I could purchase Rolls Royces so that I could purchase anything. I have not purchased anything from the money produced by the commune because the commune never produced any money. The commune was absorbing money. In fact, all my royalties, all my books, all their profits were going to the commune. The situation is just the opposite, that I had given everything to the commune. Now, 400 books in different languages were bringing millions of dollars in royalties. Those royalties were going to the commune. If I had wanted to purchase Rolls Royces, I could have purchased my own Rolls Royces, as many as I wanted just out of my royalties. Hmm, okay. Well, the the flaw in the the uh the thinking about the uh the labor there cuz he's saying that they're a bit resentful that they work 7 days a week all day long and this guy will drive by in his Rolls-Royce to give them a drive-by blessing at 2 p.m. and that's right. all that's all they get. Um, you know, or outside of $10 uh, $10 a month and what was it? A free like free space on a mattress, I think, and mm-hmm. free vegetarian meals, I think mm-hmm. that was the other thing. Um the problem is that they're they're building up this community that is then sought out by uh you know Americans and Europeans that that come here to um i think he said they spend some again we're talking 
tens of thousands of people visiting every year, yeah. and 50,000 plus, maybe even more than that. And he said they spend an average of something like $500 a piece every week. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's unbelievable the amount of money that's coming in, but he's not, he's not distributing that to the people that are really putting in the work, the backbreaking work in order to, um, to keep that going. He's not paying a fair wage. Right. And he also, also, these were not all silver spurs. They had, they had uh, spirits. <laughs> they had, you know, whatever they get their hands on. So some, they, some lower line Rolls <laughs> Royce is what they, you're saying. They leased, uh, several of these. You know, you know, can I just make a, a quick yeah, clarification? Yeah, I, when I say it wasn't paying for and I understand that some people are going to say, well, they're, what they were getting in return was spiritual enlightenment. And they were, uh, you know, they, they were part of this. They went into this knowing what they were getting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they had agreed to give up all of their material things in order to, to, uh, to uh, be part of the spiritual movement. And that's mm-hmm. what they were getting out of it. And they also, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then there's also that argument that maybe this was a security concern. The guy didn't leave the compound without a bodyguard or a driver. Uh, you know, several of the vehicles had some customized protective things. Like there's one that had tear gas nozzles in the bumper. Oh, no kidding. There's one, yeah, there was one that was extended and armored, uh, 1979 Silver Wraith 2. His, that was his first Rolls Royce. He had it, he had it steel, he had it plated with armor. Mm-hmm. I have you purchased it. Yeah. Interesting. And then also, uh, bulletproofing, special air conditioning and, uh, you know, filtration and then custom carpeting and stuff. The works. The works. The works, my friend. And so, if, uh, you know, it is, it is doubtlessly true that many, many people believed the exchange in which they entered spiritual enlightenment for physical labor was a fair one, right? Mm-hmm. And you can see interviews of people saying this is the most important thing happening to humanity now. And for some people that's inspiring. For other people, uh, and I would count myself amongst this latter group, that's chilling. But, we know that some of these Rolls Royces are still around in the hands of private collectors, mm-hmm. listeners. Maybe one of you out there has seen one or driven one or experienced enlightenment uh, due to the amazing suspension. <laughs> yeah, maybe enlightenment due to the suspension, right? So you could travel like Buddha wants you to travel. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm trying my best. Uh, you're going to hell, Ben. I, you know what? No doubt about it. That's where all my friends will be hanging out. You know what? You know what's funny? We're talking about this like it's like it's something that's in the past, but they they still run a commune. The commune exists tonight, today. It's true. And if you go to, if you look up that clip that I, that I mentioned that, uh, you know, that good luck to you and your Your pimps. pimps. Uh, yeah, that, that interview. If you look that up, uh, you will see that even today, I I watched it again today because it's, it's funny and and uncomfortable to watch. I'll tell you that. But if you watch that and look in the comments, Today, somebody had commented, I think it was 10 hours ago. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's active members of this community that are still searching out stuff like that and still defending, uh, the views expressed in that, in that clip. And right. if somebody writes anything that says any other, anything otherwise, uh, they are then quickly, you know, <laughs> reprimanded in those comments by someone that is of that faith and of that community. Right. And, and you'll see it's like an active thing. So there's the people out there that are, that are still, involved in like you know searching out media about this and trying to write the write the wrongs that are mm-hmm. that are the method messages i mean that are delivered about osho um in the media and you know whether they're right or wrong that's all in your your point of view but right um the the arguments are still happening today also you know we you and i and uh noel the movement brown 
believe that people's spirituality should be their own decision. It's a private decision. We would never tell somebody what to believe. You know, I know some of our listeners even like Honda Odysseys, and I've dealt with that, and that's their decision to make. That's their own type of cult. Their own, their own, <laughs> their, <laughs> they, oh boy. Okay. Yeah, you're right. No, we, uh, teach their own, right? Teach their I mean, own, we, all, we have said that from the very beginning. And if this is the kind of thing that you're interested in, uh, we're not downplaying that anyway, but, um, uh, some people see it a different way. That's what a, what a fascinating story though. The rise and fall of the largest Rolls Royce yeah. collection in the world to this day, I believe. You know, it's unbelievable. You would think that there would be a chic, Somewhere that would have more than this mm-hmm. at this point, but this was, and I don't know, maybe, maybe at this point in history, maybe there is somebody that has more. Yeah. However, uh, this is the one that got the most media attention. This is the one, the first one really, uh, that, that garnered, um, worldwide attention, uh, that, that drew, uh, the eyes of the world really to this small little town in Oregon and, mm-hmm. and what was happening and, and, I guess the outrage of the locals. You have to you have to really dig into this to to understand what we're saying about this and and how the people felt it was such a dis- disruption. Um, again, that that magazine that I mentioned, um, Oregon Magazine, eighteen fifty nine, mm-hmm. or some combination of that. If you if you search there for information about this, you're going to find some interesting history tidbits and things that we didn't describe here today or talk to you about. Um, but fascinating. Man, I love when we get a chance to look at bizarre or uh, little-known car collections, you know, like the car collections of Middle Eastern uh, billionaires, always fascinating. And this was so short-lived. This is a four-year period where he yeah. amassed this collection, and or four or five years, and then it was just gone. It was uh, dissolved because of, the, you know, the, the, the breakdown of the imploding of this commune. Very strange. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to hear from you, listeners, uh, are there any car collections that you think your fellow Car Stuff listeners should know about? Uh, if so, we would love to cover them. You can check us out on Facebook and Twitter where we are Car Stuff HSW and you just might see uh, a video of a very awkward interview from Perth, Australia back in the day. <laughs> yeah, very awkward. <laughs> yeah. And, oh man, I'm cracking up thinking about it. I'm going to go watch it after we get off yeah, the air. Me too. Uh, you can also check out some of our episodes on unusual car collections, along with every other podcast we have ever covered at our website, carstuffshow.com. And if you've got something else you'd like to say, uh, maybe an important automotive event coming up that you'd like listeners to know about, uh, maybe a topic that you would like us to investigate in the future, or a story of your own strange encounter with an odd car collection, we'd love to hear that too. You can write to us directly at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. 
What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.